Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. We ask you to take your Bibles and open them to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out before us. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are the great cloud of witnesses? Hebrews chapter 11 just tells us of the heroes of the faith. All these people that were listed there in, in chapter 11. And you start and you start reading those people and you begin to see a list of people who have been so faithful to God's word. Those are the heroes of the faith. And over and over through history we find people who've been faithful. And God calls you and I to be faithful. So this morning we're going to continue in this series, Running with the Giants. Here's what I want you to do as we begin this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, you were wrong. All right, now, turn to that same neighbor and say, I was wrong. Now one of those statements were a whole lot easier for you to say, wasn't it? We like to say you were wrong. It's a little harder for us to say I was wrong. We live in a world that, that it's not as easy for us to admit our downfall. In fact, we live in a world that talks about how things should be perfect. And we, we live in a world that, that we measure things by success, not failures. In fact, we post only the, the good things of our life on social media social media we don't ever post the bad things I mean I've never got on social media and saw somebody tell me about their bad day occasionally I find somebody talking about a struggle but most of the time we always put our our a side of life on social media how good things are happy birthday wow my husband surprised me with a trip to the Bahamas or my husband surprised me with a new car or my husband did this and uh, or my wife did this, you know, kind of thing. It's always those types of things. We live in a world that wants us to measure up to almost this type of perfection. In fact, we, we see this perfection almost everywhere, everywhere played out. In fact, as I was thinking about this message and thinking about perfection... I came across a study in 2017 of college entrance exams. Did you know that it's almost um, impossible to get into Stanford University? Stanford is one of the most elite schools uh, for a student to get into. Uh, over 42,000 students every year applied to go to Stanford. Only 2,100 get accepted to go to Stanford. So if you have a high school student who's thinking about Stanford, good luck. 
to go to Stanford, uh, the ACT, if you can make a 33, you can be in the top 50 percentile to go to Stanford. The average student who goes to Stanford makes a, a 36 or a 35. Perfect score is a 36. I had to look that up because I wasn't even close. Okay. SAT, uh, you have to, the, the average student for an SAT at Stanford is 1,500. The perfect is 1,600 um, at Stanford. And, and get this, I, 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 I have to, I didn't even know this was possible. In order to go to Stanford, your GPA has to be, I, I thought GPA was just a 4.0. No, it's a 4.18. How does that happen out of a 4.0? But evidently you can go higher than a 4.0. I was just thank the Lord I graduate, graduated, right? And if you do get accepted, parents, $60,000 a year. So, um, there you go. If you want to go to Stanford and be perfect, it's as close. You, you've got to be just as about as close to a perfect person as you can be to go to Stanford University. And that's the standard. You know, students go, you know, I, w- I want to be that. That's the measuring stick people put in their life. Now, not all students. You know, some students, D for diploma, you know. Some students were happy to get there. But we live in a world that the standard is getting closer and closer to perfection. What's the problem with that? What have we sung about all morning? We're all sinners. No one of us are perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one of us are perfect in any shape. Or any form. And so we're, we're trying to live up to a dream that we can never live up to. We're putting pressure on ourselves that God never intended for us to put on. And so in order to run with the giants, the heroes of the faith, let's take a step back and let's think about something I want us to look at David's life today. David is considered a man after God's own heart. No greater statement could be said about you or me if we have a heart after God. If at the end of our life, at the funeral, it was said that they had a heart for God. And we know David's not perfect. And so let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's look at the first 15 verses of chapter 12. And, I, and again, as I told you earlier, this is not about David conquering anything but the sin in his life. So would you stand as we honor God's holy word? Beginning in verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David... When he arrived, he said to him, And there were two men in a certain city, 
one a rich and the other a poor. The rich man had a very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He'd raised her, and she grew up with him and, his with, and with his children. From his meager food she would eat, from his cup she would drink, and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he's done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for this, that lamb. Nathan replied to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that were not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I considered evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. And you took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Amorite sword. Now therefore, the sword will never leave your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, you will, you will, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son, you, son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became deathly ill. You may be seated. So let's unpack this for just a second. For those of you who know your Old Testament history, Nathan is Jonathan's best friend. He has a conversation with him. He calls him out on this uh, grievous act against God. Basically what David has done is when, when all the kings, the scripture tells us, go off to battle, David decides to stay home. And there's the... the there's the beginning of the sin. He decides to stay home rather than go do his kingly duty. While he's home, he's outside and he begins to see this beautiful woman taking a bath. As he watches her, he calls for her to come see him. He's, 
He kind of lusts over her body, begins to have a relationship with her. She comes back to him and says, oh, by the way, you need to know I'm pregnant. David says, oh, we need to fix that. So he calls her husband back in from the field to give a report. Oh, well, it's late. Why don't you go home, uh, stay with your wife, and then go back? Well, he doesn't go be with his wife because why would I be with my wife when all my fellow soldiers are in the field? David waits another night, gets him drunk. Maybe he'll go in and have a good time with his wife. And then, you know, who knows, you know, maybe he wouldn't know the difference. And that doesn't happen either. So this time David decides, well, I can't get him to have a good time with his wife. I'm going to give him a note. The note says, hey, put him in the most fiercest place of battle. Put him on the front line. And when they get close, everybody else backs up and let him be out there by himself. So in other words, he sends him to the front line with his own death notification. When he dies, David says, oh, poor guy. Well, I'll take his wife. I'll, I'll take care of her. Well, Nathan knows the truth. Nathan knows what really happened. And so Nathan comes to David. Here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning. It's really simple. No one is perfect. Not you, not me, no one. For all have sinned and made mistakes. However, God is gracious and seeks to redeem us. So catch that. We all are sinners. We all make mistakes. David makes a mistake. God is gracious and seeks to redeem you. And we have to understand, if we are going to run with the giants, if we are going to be people who make differences, we have to realize we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but we've got to own up to those mistakes and seek the redemption that comes through Christ. So let me give you three things we find from this text. First is we've got to have a heart to listen honestly. We've got a heart to listen honestly. We find in this text that, that Nathan has to come to David and he has to come to David and he has to become, he has to come to this place where he has to hear what Nathan is telling him. Now Nathan knows David well. And he has to, he knows that if he approaches David in a certain way, David won't listen. Wives, do you know how to approach your husband? Do you know that there's a certain way to approach your husband because if you approach him in a certain way, he will not listen? Husbands, you, you know that there's a right way and a wrong way to approach your wife? Co-workers, you, you know that you've got co-workers that there are certain ways if you approach them that it's just not going to be good. So there's a right way and a wrong way. We all understand that. But here's the thing, we have to develop a heart to listen. We have to have a heart that's willing to say, I need to listen. One of the most frustrating things I do to my wife 
There's, there's many, and there's no reason for you to go ask her for that list. Let's just not go there, okay? I'll give you one. That's enough, okay? One of the most frustrating things I do to my wife is she'll start telling me something, and I'll interrupt her and answer her and not let her finish telling me what she wants to tell me. I will assume I know what she's telling me, and it's not. And sometimes I confess to something that's not what she was asking me. You would think after all these years of marriage, I'd learn to shut up and let her tell me and not me confess to something I wasn't in trouble for at that moment. But I'm not. Did you know how that is? I mean, it's, it's frustrating because you're trying to talk and somebody's not willing to listen. We have to have a heart that's willing to listen. David is listening. Now, catch this. David's not understanding at the moment that it's about him. But when the table is turned, David doesn't argue with Nathan. There's no argument there. When he finally says, it's you, you don't see, well, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. He begins to listen. So here's the question. Do you have a heart to listen? Are you willing to listen? Or do you jump to conclusions? Do you automatically go on defense? We have to have a heart that's willing to listen. Verse 13. Verse 13, uh, 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 look what David says. David responds by saying, what? I have what, church? Sinned. I have sinned against who? Notice, David acknowledges that he has sinned against the Lord. He, He not only has a heart that he he listens but that heart has led him to admit his sins that comes to the second thing that he has a heart that he admits his own sin that's a big deal because we live in a culture that tells us not to admit we're wrong We live in a culture that says, don't admit anything. I I didn't ask Josh this question, and part part of me is glad I didn't. I don't know how he would respond to this. Josh uh, Underwood, you know, is an insurance agent. Some insurance agents will tell you if you're in an accident, don't admit you're wrong. Why? Because they, they don't want you to to admit anything before an attorney or before somebody else can, can consult with you in case they can win the claim. And so what happens is we are in this world of don't admit you're wrong. I mean, we live in a world where people, some people literally cannot say I am sorry. Sorry. 
I've made a mistake. And that's a problem. Because if you can't say I'm sorry, then how can you look at God and go, I'm sorry, I need you. I'm sorry, I've sinned. I'm sorry, I'm in need of forgiveness. David comes to this place and he has a heart to admit his sins. He comes to this place and he admits he's done wrong. The reason he has a heart for God is because he can come to a place and say, I've sinned, I've, I've messed up, I know what I should have done. I'm wrong. Can you do the same? Can you admit that? Can you come to a place and go, I'm in need of forgiveness. I I hope at the moment you're not following the saga of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Because at the moment, the Southern Baptist Convention has a saga going on where we need to admit that we're wrong and need repentance. The problem is we're unwilling to come to a place where we're willing to come to a complete moment of saying, I'm sorry, and repentance. For we're concerned with what we could lose our insurance. We're concerned of what could happen if we completely repent and let everything known. And I would tell you, don't get in the middle of the saga. Don't, you know, breaks my heart. But as people, as children of God, we've got to admit sins and acknowledge we're, we're sinful. And we've got to admit we're, we're sinners. Which leads me to the third thing we find from David. We've got to have a heart that owns our consequences. That owns our consequences. Now, we don't like the consequences. And there's a lot that can be said about the consequences. When we come to the text and we struggle with the text, look at verse 15. When we think about these consequences, we see this in the text. It says, Nathan went home. That's no big deal. But the consequences we don't like and we don't understand. It says, the Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became deathly ill. Now here's where we, where we, we, we struggle. We struggle because a heart to own our own consequences. How do, how do we do that? And then in this moment, how do we justify this, this consequences that takes place? Because at this moment, the consequences that, that happen, happen here to a baby that had nothing, had nothing to do with this. We ask the question, why? Why would such a thing happen to a child that had nothing to do with this? And, and the truth of the matter is, I can't answer that question. 
I can't say, well, because of this is the reason God chose to do this. Unfortunately, that, that I cannot give you. I can only help you understand that God is a just God and a righteous God. That God's ways are better than our ways. That's just like asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We cannot answer that question. We just have to trust God. But in this moment, God has a consequences and David has to own those consequences. And so the rest of the story, if you keep reading here in 2 Samuel, what you find is David goes to his knees in mourning and prayer over this child. And the death of this child, David gets up understanding that God is just and that his sin has caused this. Proverbs tells us, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son whom he delights. Listen, at the time growing up when my dad, I laugh and I've said this for years, my favorite, my fondest memory of my father was him trying to go down the hallway at our house trying to take his belt off to give my brother and I a spanking because um, he figured we needed it that day at some point during the day. At that time, I wouldn't have said he did it out of love. But I've come to realize over the years it was very much out of love because if he didn't love us, he didn't care. Why would he have spanked us? He just said, just don't do it again. A father disciplines those he loves. I can't answer the question why. But we have to accept the consequences. David comes to this moment on his knees realizing the sin, realizing the consequences, and is prepared for that. You and I have to come to that place as well. So what are, what are the lessons we learned from David? First, first lesson I think we have to learn, we have to develop, is we got to establish godly friendships who, who are willing to speak truth into our life. Do you have people who will speak truth into your life? Now, I'm, I'm talking about real truth. Not people who are afraid to lose Facebook status with you but who will call you out if they see you headed down the wrong path. People who will have a, a conversation with you if you are running in the wrong direction. Who will do that in love and who will have a honest conversation and it, listen, and if you're not running down the wrong path and they, they've made a mistake, then, then the two of you work that out. But, but they're at least willing to have that conversation. We've got to have those types of friendships in our life. Not friends who keep leading us down the wrong path. Not friends who just turn, the other, turn our backs and go, well, I, you know, it's not my place to tell them. 
they keep that up, that marriage is going south. I don't know why she keeps doing that or he keeps doing that. It's, that's what's happening. Godly friendships which are willing to speak truth into their lives. Because here's the thing, if Nathan's not there, what happens to David? He just keeps going. And maybe he does it again. Maybe he chooses a different way the next time. Maybe it goes even further. Second thing, second truth is, life was about redemption, not perfection. Listen, if life was about perfection, David messed up and it's over. David's, David's no longer considered a man after God's own heart. David's not going to be remembered. David's, David's, God's done with him. Poof, we move on. But David is a man after God's own heart. Even in this, this moment when David sins and falls short, he's not finished. God's still going to use David in a mighty way. Why? Because life is about redemption, not perfection. David is redeemed. It's not about David being perfect. So no matter what your life is like, no matter how bad it has been, no matter what you've done, it's about redemption. And then the third one. Actions have consequences. But God is gracious. Actions have consequences, but God is gracious. Aren't you great? Aren't you grateful God is gracious? I am so grateful God is gracious. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'm not sure where I'd be. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I can tell you where I wouldn't be. I wouldn't stand before you today. If it wasn't for the grace of God, no telling where I'd be. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be married to Pam. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be Drew's dad. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be the pastor at Glasgow Baptist. I'm grateful for the grace of God because you're looking at an unperfect person who desperately needs the redemption of God's grace. You've probably never heard of Gainesville, Texas. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been through there. I don't know. Gainesville, Texas. Uh, Gainesville has a high school called the Gainesville Tornadoes. Not a high school that I hope any of you would ever go to. It's not a high school that I hope you'd ever send your kids to. Because it's a high school for, for juvenile delinquents. It's got chains around it. Armed guards to get in. Uh, the only way you're going to play on the basketball team is if you are successful in, in your classwork and, and doing the right things. Then if you can... If you can do the right things, you can play on the basketball team or you can do some other things. Well, a few years ago, their basketball team, uh, they get to play, play other schools uh, that are not your typical high schools. Uh, they don't, they don't, when they play, they, they don't have anybody in the fans, the stands. Uh, you know, if a parent comes, it's rare. Uh, in fact, the one student said, my parents came once and sat in the stands, but typically nobody sits in their, 
in their fan stands because, you know, they're all juvenile delinquents that's been locked up. But they were playing uh, uh, Vanguard College Prep School. And two students by the name of Hudson Bradley and Ben uh, uh, Martinson decided it's not right to ever play a school and not have fans of an opposing team. Why would anybody want to play and not have their own fans in the stands? And so Bradley and uh, Martinson decided we want them to have fans. So they got on the school PA system and said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to come out to our game, but we want half of you to root for the tornadoes, the Gainesville tornadoes. And the other half root for us. And so the school bought into it. In fact, they put up posters. You know, if you go to a high school uh, basketball game, they, they got the posters, rah, rah, whatever, you know, the Scotties or the Barron County Trojans. And so they, they did the tornadoes, and they even had t-shirts, cheerleaders. They had cheerleaders for the Gainesville tornadoes, and they had fans in the stands cheering them on. When the Gainesville tornadoes came into the stadium, they, they had a group of, uh, of cheerleaders standing there cheering them on as they came in. First time in the history of the basketball team. These boys had never, ever had that happen to them. As the game went on, the fans would cheer for the Gainesville Tornadoes and, and then the other group would fear, cheer for the, the Vanguard. Before the game was over, I think everybody in the gym was cheering for the Gainesville Tornadoes. In fact, the reporter didn't even say who won the game. I honestly think probably Vanguard won, but it didn't matter. The Gainesville Tornado students said we'll never forget what that was like. One young man said, I'll, I'll die an old age of an old man still remembering how it felt like to be cheered on. A journalist wrote these words. Steve Hartman said this, we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyways. We all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyways. Friends, we all have that in Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us. He knows exactly what we've done. He knows the sins we've committed. He knows the things deep in our heart. He loves us. He went to the cross for us. He gave his life for us. The only thing he asks for us to do is to be repentant. To come to a place in our life to say, I'm sorry. To acknowledge our sinfulness. To do as David said, I have sinned. I've made a mistake. I've fallen short. And I need your love. If you're here this morning and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
no secret handshake. There's no, no secret words. It's about saying, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. If those are your words this morning. I'd love to, to pray with you and talk with you here at the altar. If there are other decisions on your heart, join our church family or like the Underwoods did last week or if there's other decisions, you come speak to me here or you go right out these doors and Mike Thomas and JJ would love to talk to you. Whatever the case may be, would you respond today as God leads you? Would you stand with me?